for me, the only lyrics that really touch me are the ones that come out for the first time while I'm singing. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champagne Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champagne Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, I have Justin Walden, and you may know Justin Walden from the band Scarecrow Adams, Lions, Super Space Fighters, Hercules, and Witty Whitesell and the Life Parade. Justin, welcome to the show. Hello. Today, we're going to be listening to your song, Old Man in a Red Hat, off of the album Old Man in a Red Hat, released... In 2011. Cool. But when you wake up, you always know that you were never unconscious in sleep. You exactly know how you sleep. You know, no, Sunset. I believe in the rain. No 
maybe I'll, I'll see you again someday. I don't know what is wrong, but I must be on my way. Jesus, surprised. You never analyze that as soon as you sleep and dream, you can create a world like this. With people suffering from cancer and disease and wars and some smiling babies born, old men dying, then when you wake up, you see that all those things were made of your dream consciousness. So remember, this is the same, nothing different. And until you find that out, this world is a terrible show. Welcome back. Justin, my first and favorite question to always ask is, what came first? Was it the lyrics or was it the music? This song, actually, it was kind of the way I write is both at the same time. And I used to just sit down with the guitar when I was inspired, put the jam box, hit record on the cassette and see what comes. Because I don't remember what I'm doing most of the time. So I have to hit record. The reason I picked this one was because how it came about. I was just writing this song and I kind of like for the first time could see these words coming before I sang them. And I'm like, huh? I can't sing that. That's going to get me in trouble. I can't. And then this happens in like a quarter second, you know, and then I sing it. I sing the, the chorus of the song. This is going to be, you know, people are going to hate me for this and blah, blah, blah. And, but I sang it through. And then when I listened to it back, I'm like, it was like before that song, all my songs were about kind of love and loss and you know just kind of from another dimension and this song made me feel like i was participating in the creation of the song not just me telling a story but it was like a channel that's available if you're listening there's stuff to play this was the first song that i'd kind of recognized wait this isn't about me i'm like just listening and hearing something that needs to be either i need to hear or somebody else needs to hear it sounds like the the chorus started first, right? So that was that was the loop that was kind of in your head. Well, it was old. The first thing was the first line was it came out old man in a red hat. I had painted an old man with a purple hat, but purple didn't sing very well. <laughs> so I just sang old man in a red hat. Then the chorus came of like it wasn't some guy that I actually met that said these things. It was just kind of like a a story that was floating by as I was singing, and I'm like, that's not anything I've ever heard before. That's something that I'm supposed to say. So do you see this song as kind of a departure from your previous work? Because it sounds like you, you're finding this unusual, like this is not your usual writing pattern, or or, or am, am I mischaracterizing this? No, it's, it's just, this was what started a different pattern. So like, this is an old, this is from my like first 
like when I was becoming Scarecrow Adams and finding my voice. So this is like I released it in 2011, but I made it in 92. Wow. And so me and my dad built a studio in our house in Laurel Canyon, and I had to learn how to use it. And so I was lucky enough to have everything there, and I did not waste a second. Anytime I've written the lyrics down first, they usually end up in the notebook and they never get used. For me, the only lyrics that really touch me are the ones that come out for the first time while I'm singing. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. like I'm trying to see what is it my subconscious is trying to tell my conscious mind and I kind of tune in. That was the beginning of when I realized, that, oh, it wasn't my talent or it wasn't what I could do. It was just that I could listen differently than some. And I had something else that I wanted to hear that I wasn't hearing. You know, there wasn't another band doing what I was wanting to hear. And so... I'm more like a kind of crazy painter in a recording studio. I kind of make songs like they're each one is a painting. Things don't have to connect. Tracks don't have to be a certain way. The Old Man in Red Hat is one of the most probably pure and authentic. That's like pre-Pro Tools, you know, no drum edits and things like that. And so that's just kind of a, the reason it's one of my favorites is just how it came about and how it shifted my gears. And it's like there's a little conversation that goes through the song between two other random things so if you hear there's a, a woman's voice and that's Joni Mitchell from a radio interview promo CD that she had done and then the other one I think is like the Maharishi or the self-realization fellowship dude and it was like from a meditation tape during that time A&R guys you know come into the studio record label people and they would always talk talk through the song so I just thought I'd put a conversation in the song to get the people in the room to stop talking. And so, <laughs> so I just, I like literally hit play on both machines and record on two tracks in the song. And then there were bits where they were kind of talking. It made sense with the song. And so I just left that in. And that's, that wasn't like manipulated or anything or edited. It was literally like throw it, throw it in on the fly using three tape machines and and stuff. Uh, so it's kind of a cool. I always tended to try to add an extra dimension to my songs. I like like having a something else going on that's in its own world. The more that I listen to it, the more it's deceptively simple but complex all at the same time. It starts off it's a very simple strumming pattern with a guitar. You've got this this kind of floating conversation in the background that somehow syncs up and has some lines in there that just match what is going on, but also creates this weird subtext. You're drumming off of the bridge, which is the, I believe in a sunset, like bouncing off the edges of the pockets is what I like to think of that drumming. You know what it reminded me of? And I know that this isn't necessarily the style, but if you've ever heard Piggy from Nine Inch Nails off of the Downward Spiral album, there's that drum part at the end. It seems like it's just jumping all over the place but it's like somehow lands in the pocket but you're like how how did that happen but anyway sorry i don't know if that was like an influence for you at all or no that was but i but i i could hear that no during that time i was just holed up in my studio making my own stuff like i wasn't really listening to trent or whatever until kind of later on actually i got asked to go work for him years later for mm. you know <laughs> that's my favorite thing to do is it's kind of like feels like you're falling out of the drum stool but somehow you come back in right before you know and that to me is living that's the kind of edge i like to 
be on, not to take people out necessarily. Those circles can get bigger and smaller and change. And that's more like intuitive drumming for me. You know, it's more like just kind of letting go and going, oh, sh- man, I'm, I can't believe I nailed that one. I'm curious, like, how did this song evolve from these swirling ideas into the idea that it became like, in the end, it seems more like it's things don't matter, but being kind to somebody and taking the time to interact with them is really what's the most important that and honoring everyone else for who they are and what they how they think and what they believe and not saying it's one way or another i've gotten in trouble for that like i remember working on a seven dust record and playing it for a few of the people there and they were like you're from the dark side i'm like no man (laughs) and it was just a polarizing song at first it was just not really being talked about as much as it is today back then so like doing it, I would I wrote down like that whatever five minutes or seven minutes of verses. I've always kind of been about let's try to use as little as we need, tell the story with as few as things as possible, and like I don't need all seven verses or that. Once I got that arrangement, we have, I started going to open mics in like Universal City and like made friends with some other bands, and that was like always everybody's favorite. There's that song and another song, Too Much Money, Not Enough Love. And it's like through the years. I even still like this song. You know, I did everything by myself in that studio until the mix on that one. I'd hit play and record at the console and then run into the other room and shut the squeaky door. And every song of mine had tons of doors closing and opening at the beginning. (laughs) And end and run in, hit play, and then go play the drums. And then come back and do the bass part and then come back and do it. A lot of times I would even lay the drums down before I had the uh, other stuff. Because that's what I was first, a drummer, you know. And it's like, you know, I just go in and sing the vocal and play the guitar at the same time, get a good take. And then it was like, I didn't spend very much time, you know. I was kind of just really learning and everything was, you know, it's all really simple. There's nothing like new in the melodic structure and the chords or anything but it was just it it says what i was seeing when you've listened to a song and played one what since that was 90 i wrote it in like 91 i have songs like you know i was trying to decide which one it's like oh my newest one is my favorite one you know then i'm like but that one's not done yet so then i'm like what's my you know what's the one of the most meaningful ones because it's like my dad has his you know how about us the band champagne (laughs) yeah and it's like (laughs) <laughs> and then now we have one together because I got to add to the lyrics on that newest version I did. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, some of the things towards the end when you said, he said, thanks for listening. Maybe I'll see you again someday. Some of the background vocals, it feels like you're just kind of jamming out a little bit with your voice. Did you feel like you just kind of put pieces together? If you were to like relive all of the parts, would you be able to remember them? Or was it like... Some of these are really improvisational. I'm pretty improvisational on most things. Like the vocal I'll pick is usually the first vocal where I got it right. If I were to break this song down, this one's the most non-compartmentalized because I went in, played guitar, sang it, immediately went in, played the drums, and then went back, got the sampler, and started playing the upright bass sample part. Favorite parts were always doing harmonies. Because it was like, you know, I was never a singer. I was a drummer. I didn't start singing till I had a song to sing kind of thing. So it's like my favorite thing, but it's a weird thing when you start letting go and letting yourself kind of scream or sound weird or like I was kind of discovering my voice at that time. If you listen to a bunch of my music, you know, throughout the years, there's kind of a constant like strange harmony background singer or three. That's where it's yeah. like, that's what I have fun. And I don't, I don't, I'm like not going into 
oh, I'm going to sing this fifth and this ninth. It's like, I hit record and it's like, okay, let's see. And then you just sing and it's like, okay, you know, some of them are really bad. But most of the time now, it's just, I trust my intuition. I've been doing it long enough that like when I feel the inspiration, I know it's important to open up a session or hit record on something. Every time I've ever not done it, you know, you're like, you're playing. And it's like, oh my God, I just sang like 10 minutes of the best verses I've ever come up with oh well i guess that one's just for the homies you know like all right that one's not for the world and there's that like if i pick up a guitar with like my friend jeff hanneman's pick it's like oh oh time to open up pro tools or time to open up ableton and let's let's see what happens now for me my favorite songs are the ones that i did not set out to build they're the song that came to me and then it's my job like a sculptor to kind of you know, define what it is that that is going to look like or feel like. If you would characterize your writing style, would that be your general writing style? Is that you piece it together? Do you ever have a fully written song or do you just kind of start with an idea and then you just kind of it explodes from there and you kind of rein it back in? Um, It sounds like you, you don't really have a finished song when you go into the studio, so to speak. Well, I have. I've done that. Um, you know, like say, Old Man in Red Hat's been done like five different times by, you know, everybody wanting to, oh, let me produce my version or whatever. When I try to re-record a song, it's just, it feels like I'm acting or something. I don't know. I've tried it enough that I don't get the same kind of joy from the fact that, that that song has kind of the moment captured like it's on film and the imperfections are fine. You know, it's like I leave songs alone, even if I've changed the lyrics throughout the years. It's like the original version, you know, is like the thing. And so a lot of my songs happen all at once, but mostly then it becomes an editing process. It's like a subtractive, just cutting out verses and trying to get it down to a, you know, like I want to take, like I love a song that's like two minutes and 45 seconds, but you feel like you've went seven minutes different places. When I talk, I go off on tangents. I go off on tangents in my music all the time. The thing is, is when you can go off on a tangent and somehow bring it back and make have it make sense. I I think that's that's yeah. like a special part about what music yeah. can do. It's just like, oh well, you know, just change this key back, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and now we're back. Um, I I think that's that's like one of the cool things about about music. Do you have a favorite line in this song? This a favorite part? Um, what what is the the part that you think like nails it best in the song? Like, what's the peak to this song? Well, it's. I mean, it doesn't matter what you call it, as long as you believe. But the first words, the the, the like, kind of the polarizing words: Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad, Alibaba, and the forty thieves. Doesn't matter what you call it, as long as you believe. And it's like. While literally while that was happening, I'm going, oh man, people are going to call me blasphemous and whatever. And then I see, then then I see the next line coming literally, and I see Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. I'm like, I'm thinking of the children's book, and I'm like, what? Now I'm relating it to that. Oh boy! And I I just let myself sing it, and then it's and it was it just shifted everything because I'm like, huh? Like that wasn't something that I went into writing that song to say, you know? I like I didn't go in, and I've written many many more kind of different perspectives of of the same thing throughout the year. I kind of have my name my name game song about every 10 or so years, so there's a few more. The ones that I remember the moment writing, nature is a big inspiration and 
part of being inspired it's the nature of ourselves in a way like to pay attention to what it is that we're supposed to bring out in the art it's always been a healing thing for me it keeps me sane i never started making music to get a record deal or to do any of that i just happened to be an engineer and work in a studio and had my own things to make you know and then i started getting hired by other bands because of the stuff i was making in the studio and i'm amazed it's like that I'm still making music and making Scarecrow Adams songs. It's been a lifesaver, especially during the pandemic, even though it didn't really change my life. I'm really a hermit in the studio anyway. You know, it's like I have everything around me that I need to kind of feed that need to like nurture the creativity. Cause it's like the day, you know, if a week goes by that I'm not doing something musically and there's been months at times, like I can physically feel kind of like, I'm getting older and debilitating. And then it's like a couple days in, I'll be like, wait, I need to go make a beat for no reason. I need to go get the MPC and just, you know, let, let me get that, load some samples up. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, ah, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like, <laughs> I feel great. And how come I have to remind myself that constantly, yeah. you know, that it's like, why am I, wow, it's been a funky week this week. And you're like, what have you been doing? Oh, watching Netflix putting off you know putting off that edit or that mix or that thing you know and so it's really nice to to have somebody listen to to it you know it's like it's already done its job for me once i've written it and recorded it so after that it's more about like oh hey this is this is something that that i enjoyed here check it out you know i want to pose something to you that i had as a thought while i was listening to this just before we started the interview actually i i had a moment where it's like Wait, maybe, maybe, just maybe, he's referring that the old man in the red hat is him meeting himself. He said, thanks for listening. Maybe I'll see you again someday. And I was like, what if he was time traveling to go see himself? Dude, <laughs> dude, if you saw the painting, the painting is behind your head and it's, and it's, it is, that's exactly what it, that's exactly what it is. It was like that, you know, like. It was coming from, you know, like another dimension, that message. And it's like, hey, hey, it's you. And it's like I've been watching a lot of time travel shows lately. Uh -huh. hadn't, you know, but it's, you know, I'm. it's like the painting has the purple hat guy here. Let me. So at this point, Justin gets up from his seat and grabs the painting to show me. And, and then nice. Like a, uh, and then there's like the spirit of Joni Mitchell behind it, you know. Check out my Instagram account for a picture of Justin showing me the painting. Speaking of, I got to play her that song after I did it and, and get her okay to use her voice. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so th that's another reason why I'm like, yep, even, even Joni heard that version on her back porch, you know? Nice. And I had named that record Vulgar Electricity, which was from a line from her... Uh, night ride home album that i was listening to and i'm like hey Joni, i'm gonna call this record vulgar electricity is that cool she's like i love it well, i have one cassette of that record that i bought from somebody for 50 bucks off of ebay i found my original like handmade cassette really from that and and i got yeah i got it i think i have like six or seven records on Bandcamp, right and what i had done was i had never put out anything and and i was living in colorado on the mountain and one day it was like it was actually like a lunar eclipse and i'm like watching it and i'm like oh, you need to release a record in 11 days and then you need to release a record every 11 days until you're done with these period of times what i did was i would go through the time period i went through like 91 through 93 picked the best 
songs and just condensed it because I was far enough away from them that I was able to like let them go. And so all those records represent a time period and kind of like the best, oh. the kind of the, the, the most clear songs that exist. But man, I've got like thousands. I mean, I've got ridiculous amounts. Even in the midst of the current coronavirus pandemic, the Jubilee Cafe is continuing to serve packaged, home-cooked meals free to all every Monday evening, 5 to 6.30 p.m. Meals are available for pickup outside the 6th Street door to the Community United Church of Christ in Champaign, Illinois, 805 South 6th Street. Jubilee Cafe's mission remains the same. Feed hungry people by cooking healthy and delicious meals. We are open to anyone who cares to receive a meal. For information on the meal or how to volunteer, go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email us at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So, Justin, do you have a favorite past venue in Champaign-Urbana that's like your favorite? Oh, man. Well, I loved playing at Mabel's. I loved going to see the, the Elvis Brothers and Combo Audio at Mabel's. And like I was playing at Mabel's when I was 15, I think, and my mom would have to bring me to the back door and <laughs> tell him it was okay. <laughs> oh, man. Guido Sinclair, Nature's Table, Bantuku. Man, I used to live at Nature's Table for music. I was going there as soon as I had a driver's license. Like, all the time. That was the hang. You know, I only sat in once. I was just having a great time, and then the song ended, and then I opened my eyes, and I'm like, like, I did, like, what you weren't supposed to do, like, sitting in with the jazz guys. <laughs> like, I was just, had my eyes closed and kept playing. Um, man, I, I love, that was a, that's one of my, my favorite places that I heard music I would have never heard. Yeah. So, so you started off as a drummer. So at this point, you're 15. You're playing in bands as a drummer at Mabel's. Mabel's Tritos Uptown. It was probably 16 and 17 when the when we were playing. We had like the Hercules only had like three or four gigs. Witty's thing. We would go tour the play the you know every college like around and that stuff. But I didn't ever really like driving three hours to a gig, and so I just loved gigs that were in Champagne. <laughs> Mabel's was great, but I think Tritos was one of my favorites just because that was just a cool little place. Do you have a memory of like the best show that you either played at or you saw in Champaign-Urbana? The best show I saw in Champaign would have been uh, Farm Aid. I was going to say Police Ghost in the Machine Tour because my dad, that was my first big concert when Joan Jett and the Blackhearts opened up. I only went because of the Joan Jett single, Crimson and Clover or something. And I remember the police came out, Stuart Copeland's shadow was on the ceiling, bigger than life, and then stings, and they started Roxanne. And I was, I'm like, what? You know, because I was seven, that was 77, right? So I was like seven years old and I'm like, what is this sound? This is the best thing ever. That ignited it. Because I just remember Stuart Copeland, it was just those three guys on stage. But his the way he was lit on the drums, they had his shadow on like a whole half of the the auditorium. You know, I forgot the last concert I went to um, would have been when Seven Dust played at the City Center. So I'd never been to the City Center. You know, I've made three records with them. Like I know them longer than anybody I've ever worked with. 
And to be able to see him in my hometown, I had an extra ticket. We went and I got to hang out. And it was like I got to merge my my life out there with with the local thing. And it was a neat, you know, and I'm just like in there just watching the show. And they called, you know, they did a shout out to me and stuff. And they did a pun- bunch of the songs that I was a part of. So it was like, that was real cool. And uh, But that was the last show I went to and that was probably like maybe six months before <laughs> the show Man. stopped you know bummer but i lo- I loved that i didn't know that i'd never been to the city center it was great honestly a really good venue and and decent sized and the sound system is great you could still have an intimate sense of being close to the stage but it held a bunch of people it's one of those things i miss saying that i've i've watched two seven dust live streams concerts that they've been putting on and i'm finding like because i feel like an old man i love that i can go to a show sitting at my desk listening to it through my monitors i've actually enjoyed kind of the some of the stuff that's come out i'll watch it i'll buy tickets to the to my tv till we can go see it again but yeah. i think i would buy like if they were playing i would buy tickets half the time anyway to watch on the web even if i could go to the show. right <laughs> my ears my ears don't suffer the next day so i can keep mixing you know <laughs> yeah no kidding well and and that's the thing too is like obviously the beer is a lot cheaper i'm curious how like post pandemic how that will change because now what about being able to have all these concerts? What about being able to have concerts that everyone else around the the world can just tune into, buy tickets for, and hopefully, you know, it's nice to see a band in person. That's great. I love it. But it is also nice to be, as you said, to just plug in and just you get the best seat in the house in some ways, you know. I have this question that I've been ruminating on because... We're in a pandemic and I've missed the the live show. To you, what makes a good music community? What makes a good music scene in a community? I don't know. I just think that what's what I love about the champagne scene as opposed to having lived in LA for, you know, twenty some years, is how genuine most of the people I've had experiences with are. Doing it from a purer place than what I was around for so many years. And everybody supports each other in this scene. There isn't the same kind of, of thing that I was like being subjected to on a daily basis in LA. And so I just think that I love that there's just constant output. People are getting their music out and, and releasing things pretty much all the time, you know? And uh, we've got a lot of super talented people. Um, I've done a what, handful of Elsinore remixes from since the beginning. Right now, I'm doing some stuff where Kayla Brown and Ryan are singing on some tunes of my dad's for something. And, uh, you know, it's cool. My friend Anthony just moved from Chicago. We got a great st- another great studio in Urbana, Anthony Gravino. And so now it's like, I don't know, it's feeling like there's there's a little bit of the good part of L.A. out here now. It's like, you know, everybody's got a handful of really cool studios people can work at. And then beyond that, everybody's got their own in their house, you know. When I moved back to town, it was like the scene's really welcoming. And I don't play very many shows. And Ryan would get me, you know, Ryan and John Iceberg, whenever they had a show, they'd call me up and I'd be like, okay. 
Because <laughs> I always get super nervous before shows. But first show that I ever played in Champaign by myself was at that Planned Parenthood fundraiser that was at the Accord. I had Larry Beers, the drummer from The Charming Beggars, and Kent Weitzel from The Martyrs. And that was like, we played like three songs at that thing. And and that was that was real cool. I just think there's a lot of there's a lot of really super talented people and people just keep making music and keep putting stuff out and it can only get better. I just like I like to see that and you know, it's been a nice nurturing place to be. I'm glad I've been here instead of California during this whole thing. What brought you back to Champaign-Urbana? Well, I I'd, I'd been living in that little mountain town and doing remote work. Like one time came back through, I was going to move to Nashville, had a job in Nashville. It was about four years ago, went down there, worked the job, left in two days to get my stuff to po- supposedly. And I came home and I'm like, uh, uh-uh, I'm sorry, guys, I'm not moving to Nashville. And I found an apartment here. I was like, Nashville felt too much like LA. You know, it's like everybody's trying to get something accomplished instead of just being. There's a lot more of people just living life while being creative in Champaign that, that's way more exciting to me than people trying to achieve a certain amount of something. So I just came back and thought, I would, thought I'd leave, and now it's like, nah, I don't even want to go back to Colorado now. It feels like home again. COVID-19 got you down? You looking for some music? Some video games? Well, Exile Main Street still has all the things you need. New and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile Main Street still has something for any music enthusiast and old-school gaming devotee. Exile Main Street is taking orders, making deliveries, and pickups by appointment. They can find just about any music or video game you need. Check out their website, ExileMainStreet.com, for links to their Discogs page for new additions. You can also contact them via Facebook Messenger to see what they can find for you. They can also be reached on Instagram, Twitter, email, or phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. So, Justin, what is your favorite non-musical thing? What came up, I guess I, rem- I just remembered when I read that question, my first thought was, can it be a mountain? I would say that it's, those, it's the mountains in Crestone, and anywhere that I'm at there is my favorite thing, my favorite feeling. It's the only place I've ever been that when I arrived, my body and soul went home. Never had been there before. It would definitely be, yeah, Crestone is in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains at 9,000 feet. And you moved there, correct? I guess it was 2008, my dog Buddha passed away. I had an awesome Boston Terrier, and so my, one of my buddies goes, hey, it's a perfect opportunity for you to go to Burning Man. And then my other friend said, when you get done with Burning Man, you're moving to Hawaii. I'm like, okay. So I did this kind of journey from going to my first Burning Man to driving to LA, getting on a plane, and going to move to Kauai. And I and while I was in Kauai, I'm like, you know, it's too. I got island fever. That was not my kind of place. I get a phone call from a friend, and he's like, "Hey, how you doing?" I'm like, "I'm, you know, I'm I'm miserable in paradise. There's something wrong with me." <laughs> and and he's like, "I think you need to come visit me and my wife in Crestone. I think you're gonna like it." And so literally within five days, I found my way, flew to L.A., got in the car with my dad and his wife, and they went and moved to Santa Fe, and I got picked up in Santa Fe, and drove to this place at night 
And the, the people who picked me up go, you don't know, have any idea where you're going, do you? I go, nope. And when I woke up in the morning and like saw at the window and saw this mountain, I'm just like, home. Hmm. And it was like, and I just went there and somehow I was, you know, that place just took me in and, you know, it was kind of more like a Buddhist retreat for like seven years for me. Like I didn't mm -hmm. even know anybody but three people for the first few years. Huh. Like, and I just loved it, you know? And uh, so I've kind of trying now to have that same kind of feeling, but living here in this home instead of longing for needing to go and be somewhere else if your favorite thing is mountains this is not the place to get mountains <laughs> well it's, yeah. and it's not like i climb them so it's just more like like i love really overcast days or cloudy days i'll just pretend that there's mountains mm. behind those clouds you know <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you said you know being being particularly sad in in or not sad but not particularly happy in paradise right I was just thinking the other day, I said, gosh, sometimes I get, there's like these nice days that come up and it's like too much pressure. It's like, I don't, I don't want to be, look, I don't want you to impose the idea that I'm supposed to go out and do all these things. Like, can I just do my thing here? Can I just, what if I want to work in the studio? Too bad it's a nice day. It's like, I don't want to go out in a nice day. I just want to have my time in the studio because this is the only day that I have off. Let's let me work in the studio, not feel like I have to be outside. And I wonder if maybe the idea of paradise was too much of like, you have to really enjoy yourself here, not really experience uh, your own truth. But I feel like maybe the mountains for you, you know what? We're mountains, you know, do your thing, but we're here if you need us. I don't know. That's that's what popped into my yeah. head. <laughs> I actually said that the other day to one of my friends. I'm like, oh, it's a nice day. I look out and I go back to my computer and go work on that song. I used to look so forward to the snow. When the snow came in Crestone, I knew that no one expected me to be anywhere for four months. Family, anything. You know, and, and it was like phone service was bad and blah, blah. So I had this complete kind of free life from... Like, I was a thousand miles away from my mom, thousand miles away from my dad. Nobody ever expected me to show up for holidays and <laughs> things like that. Right. So, now, what Champagne has been like during the past year has been just like Crestone without the mountains. I now kind of own my time again, you know, except for like the daily phone calls that keeping in touch and, and working. But still, it's like, I just love working at home and I've done, you know, I've done it for so long and i didn't do it for a little while and it's just i'm so grateful that we're that it's normal now my old way of working is now normal for everyone <laughs> justin thank you so much for being on the show and telling me all about your song old man in a red hat and your your first opportunity to work in a recording studio and how you design your songs and telling me about your initial experiences about when when you first started out in champaign urbana and playing at the age of 15 at mabel's and your favorite music venue and and then your favorite non-musical thing and i'm sorry that champaign urbana just doesn't bring mountains but uh hopefully you know it it has all the things that keep your soul soul filled so thank yep. you for being on the show so much i appreciate it well thanks for having me spin
Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Justin Walden of Scarecrow Adams reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. driving i'm listening to ministry psalm 69 the song scarecrow and it's like this really dark and heavy slow song right and i'm like dark and dark and weird scarecrow scarecrow jones and i look over and i see the adams family poster at rocket video on the left and i'm like scarecrow adams that's it like because i was looking for a mask like something that i could kind of like not go and be justin you almost have an npr voice it's so good (laughs) (laughs) South Beaker on the inside.